Amen. Well, I'm going to invite you this morning to take your Bible, turn with me back to the book of Revelations where we are at, going to be for a while, chapter 2 this morning, looking at the second church of the seven churches as we're going to be preaching this series out on um, the revelation of Jesus Christ and his letters to the seven churches. And um, this morning we're going to be on the church of Smyrna. And um, last week we looked at the church of Ephesus that lost that first love, that fell from that great love, and Jesus was telling him to love me like you used to, amen, and what a privilege to be able to be in love with Jesus and to have him love you. This morning, for those of you who haven't been here, a quick recap, um, this seven letters comes from Jesus personally. He told John the Apostle, who wrote the Revelation, he said, I am the Alpha and Omega, the first and last, and he said, what you see, write in a book. And send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. And he picked these seven particular churches. And you see a list of them there. And right here you'll see they kind of make a circle. And um, these seven churches were specifically chosen by him because of a purpose. Um, The seven churches, he could have picked a lot of other churches. There's a lot of reasons and things you've seen in the opening. You can go back and look at that if you want on Facebook. The introduction sermon that... Most theologians believe these seven churches are a representation of the church and whole through the church age, from the inception of the church in the book of Acts till the rapture when he takes us home. Amen. These seven churches show us the health and the condition spiritually of the churches. And so we went over that. The letters to these seven churches are messages from Christ that reveal to the church today, the whole church, how to properly function throughout the church age, and we're still in it, or he'd be back, amen? And we were looking at these particular churches and how they illustrate the possible spiritual conditions for future churches until he returns. And last week, we seen how you can lose your first love. When you first get saved, you're like a newlywed, and Jesus is everything. But if you don't, if you don't nurture that love, and you don't protect that love, and seek him, and you can fall, and that love can... Fall, and that's what had happened to them. Today we're going to look at the church, though, the persecuted church, and I'm here to tell you this isn't a pep rally sermon. It's a tough one, but it comes from the word of Christ to a church that is given for us to glean from, to apply to us today. And so we're going to read it together, and it's called the persecuted church, and some people called it the crown church, but I I, I agree. And we are not very familiar in America with the persecuted church. This is going to be foreign to most of us because most of us base our experience when it comes to persecution and suffering on what we've experienced instead of what the Bible teaches and church history has shown. And we are very blessed in America that we live in a special place and a special time that is very abnormal and uncommon when you look at church as a whole, that we haven't seen persecution the way most people in the world have seen it. We have experienced what we Could And I want you to look with me this morning as we read it. Christ himself says to the angel, that's the elder we know, the the messenger of the church in Smyrna, write, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came to life. Know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And we read this letter and we see right off the bat that the First Baptist Church of Smyrna was not having an easy time of it. (laughs) It was not a wonderful time to be going to that church. The members were being extremely persecuted by their faith in Jesus Christ. And kind of give you a little what's going on there. You know, today, these are words that we're not familiar with in our Baptist church experience. Tribulation, poverty, not being poor. Poverty, I'll explain there's a difference. Suffering, and then asked to be faithful to Christ even until death. You know, when I read those verses, he says, I know your works, tribulation, and poverty. He chose the word poverty, not the word just that means you're poor. He means that you have nothing. 
And the reason they had nothing, the reason they was under tribulation, wasn't because they were doing something wrong. It was because they were doing what was right. They were serving Jesus with all their heart. They were standing on the gospel and on the word of God and on the lordship of Christ. And so what's happening to him here? He says, I know your works, your tribulation, and I know the blasphemy of those who are they, the Jews, who are not Jews, but are a synagogue of Satan. There was a large population of Jews in the city of Smyrna, and Smyrna was a very committed and loyal city to Rome and its emperor Caesar. There was reasons for that. If you was to look on that map, you see Smyrna was a port city. It was a very wealthy city. It was filled with people who were very well off because of their Roman citizenship and the advantages that that had given them. There was ships coming in. There was a main road to Rome. Trade was a very prosperous trade. And most of the people who moved there and lived there who were Romans by citizenship had a very strong loyalty to Caesar and to Rome. And there was what had evolved into what they called Caesar worship. Caesar, the emperor of Rome, was given deity by the Romans. They had a smorgasbord of gods, and all their gods were worshipped, and they were lifted up. And then you had the Jews, who were not really God's people. They were hateful towards the church. In the Bible, you can look in the book of Acts, the primary source of persecution towards the church was the Jewish people who rejected Christ, who didn't see him as Messiah. And so they were getting hammered by the Jews who were helping to turn them over to Rome. And Rome was causing great tribulation in their life because they would not bow the knee to Caesar and reproach and recant Jesus as Lord. I'm going to show you a little more of that, but I want you to think about this here. Most American Christians have an unbiblical view of tribulation, suffering, and persecution for Jesus because we haven't experienced it. We live in a very special place in a very special time because we are Christians in America during the times that God has used America in the history of the church. Now, as we begin to continue to look at this and we think about this, I want to show you, it says that you're going to have, be patient for what's about to come up on you. You're going to suffer You're going to be in prison. You're going to have tribulation. You're going to be persecuted. And then he even says, be faithful until death, and I'll bless you. I'll give you the crown of life. He who has ears to hear, hear what the Spirit says to the churches, and who overcomes will not experience the second death. Now, I want you to think about this. We have no idea what that's like to be asked in America, much less to suffer tribulation or to embrace suffering as a means of being a faithful church member and persecution up to the point of imprisonment, but we surely don't know many martyrs. Does anyone personally know a martyr for Christ? I got a feeling when we get to heaven, there's going to be very few American martyrs. (laughs) Because we've been blessed. We've been protected. But to this year alone, there's been over 3,000 people martyred for Christ in our world. We're going to see brothers and sisters from all over this world throughout the whole complete church history who did what this says. A martyr is someone who voluntarily suffers death at the penalty for witnessing and refusing to renounce their Christian religion, their faith, and the person of Jesus Christ as Lord. That's what was happening to them. When you went to pay taxes every year, you went before Caesar's representative, his Roman official, and you were told to do two things. Before you paid your taxes, you was told to pledge your loyalty and submit to Caesar. Hail Caesar, but also his deity. Caesar was recognized as God. And you worshipped him. And these rich people in Smyrna, from what we can tell, were very loyal to him. They gave him a lot of praise. They had temples to his honor, and they worshipped him. But guess what? This church in Smyrna wouldn't do that. They wouldn't compromise. He said, we're not worshiping him. We're not bowing down. So what they did was they, instead of taxing them, they took what they had for livelihood. That's why they were in such poverty. They were losing their homes. They were losing their businesses because the government, the authority was taking it from them. And the Jews was telling on them and showing who they were probably. So they were experiencing tribulation and persecution to the point of poverty. 
And now it's fixing to get worse. He said, they're fixing to throw some of you in jail because you won't do what they want. You won't give in and bow the knee to Caesar. You won't renounce Jesus. But Jesus says, be faithful to me. He said, you're going to have tribulations. It's only going to be 10 days. It ain't going to be long because then you're going to be with me. And these people died for their faith. You say, how uncommon is that? I don't know one mortar personally. But I want you to think about this. I want to give you a view of suffering persecution through from the Bible's point of view and from church history. The real picture of suffering. You see, we are very fortunate that we haven't seen much of that here. Persecution to us is someone made fun of us. Persecution to the most Baptists is that the thermostat was set wrong and I was uncomfortable. I'm just being... That's, that's, we, we find that disturbing but these people's lives was disturbed to the point that they had no life left except for what Jesus meant to them. And I want you to think about this with me. This is a picture. If you've been in my office, it's a painting. It's behind my desk. I, I used to feel sorry for myself. My mama got me this painting after I graduated from seminary. If it was a graduation present, I told her about it. And she got me original in the original size. It cost me $600 to frame it. <laughs> Thank God she bought the painting for me. And I'd be whining, oh, Jesus, the deacons is mad at me. Oh, God, I got it hard. And I'd turn around in my chair, and I'd look at that, and God'd say, at least I ain't fed you to the lions yet. And I'd say, okay, Jesus. Perspective is important. Would you agree with me? Well, we have a warped perspective of what it means to suffer for Christ and how much Christ can ask of us in the American church. Because <laughs> that's what was happening in their day. In 68-ish Nero was emperor. He's the one who beheaded Paul. He was the first big uprising that brought the whole Roman nation against the church. And things like this began. If you look right there, that was their NASCAR. That was the chariot races. You see the tracks. Those two columns were called goalposts. There was one on each side of the Colosseum. And they raced the laps around that Colosseum. And those people there were there to cheer their favorite chariot racers. They spent fortunes, those rich people in Smyrna, on horse teams. And they had chariot drivers who like your favorite NASCAR driver who raced and they'd go there for their sport. But in between, there was boredom. So you know what they did? <laughs> they took Christians and put them on sticks and put fires under them and lit them on fire. That's what they're doing there. They're burning them at the stake. That's documented historical for sure. If you was to look, you can see if you get up close and come in my office, there's a guy with a long pole with a stick, and he's walking around lighting them on fire. It must have been intermission. And then they let wild animals out to chew up and eat whole families. There's little girls and grandpas and everyone in between in that picture. It was painted by a man named Leon Jerome in 1883. He was commissioned by an art gallery to paint that and he was commissioned in 1863 and he didn't get it finished till 20 years later I don't know why it took him so long I think that's a difficult thing to have to paint and as he studied and must have seen and that's called the Christian mortars last prayer and that man standing over that group of Christians praying that's a reality that is the beginning that is a foundation someone said the church has advanced and made headway based upon the blood of the martyrs. And we so easily forget how prevalent and how common that is in the church today that people have paid this price. I don't know if you realize this, but as we begin to look, the religious freedom experienced in America has been an abnormal and a very uncommon experience in the history of the church. The church began, you don't even probably realize this, but if you was to check it out, every one of the apostles died a martyr's death except for the apostle John. And he was persecuted on a prison island named Patmos, a penal colony where they sent the worst of the worst when he wrote the book of Revelation for preaching the gospel. That's what he starts out telling you. He's the only one left. They're all gone. Every one of them died because they would not recant Jesus Christ as Lord and Messiah and Savior. And they died a mortar's death. That's the beginning. 
But guys, there's a lot of people outside the church that I want to share with you a list of some things. And I know this is probably going to be gory to some of you. You're going to say, Lord God, I didn't come to church to get depressed. I don't hope it don't depress you, but I hope it makes you realize how blessed you are that you can come to church and you ain't in danger of imprisonment. You ain't in danger of going to be faithful unto death yet. <laughs> because we have no guarantees it will always be so good in America. Because it could change with an election onto the road to persecution. I want you to listen to this. I'm going to give you a list of eyewitness mortar accounts as compiled from numerous sources outside the Bible, the most famous of which is Fox's Christian Book of Martyrs. You can go buy that book and it'll just blow you away at what God's people have had to go through to keep the gospel being proclaimed. But I want you to just remind you, Stephen was the first martyr in the Bible. Any Bible student knows that he was one of the first of the seven men that was chosen to be what we believe the first deacons, but he was also a preacher. And in the seventh chapter, he's preaching the gospel. At the day of Pentecost, or during the Passover, I mean, and as he's preaching, the, the Jews come against him. They cast him out of the city and they stone him to death. First martyr, he's stoned because he's preaching the gospel. But what outside sources, Jewish historians tell us, is that during that year, the year of A.D. 34 to 35, over 2,000 other church members, Christians, was killed in the city of Jerusalem alone. 2,000! We get excited about the first sermon, 3,000 got saved. Well, 2,000 of them died the first year, maybe. (laughs) But we sit here in America saying, I just find that hard to believe. Yes, we do. Because we're sheltered with such a blessed Christian experience. Philip was one of his compadres. He was also one of the six that was picked. He was also a preacher. You can see where he preached in the eighth chapter and won the Ethiopian to Christ. Well, he was also a disciple. He was from Bethesda. He suffered martyrdom at Heliopolis in Phrygia in A.D. 54. He was scourged, thrown into prison, and afterwards he was crucified. James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote the book of James, He administered to the early church in Jerusalem and was the author of the book of the Bible called James. At the age of 94, he was beat and stoned. He couldn't die, and they finally bashed out his brain with a club. There's untold documented Jewish history of this. James also had a brother, a second brother, half-brother to Jesus. His name was Jude. He wrote a book called Jude. The brother of Jude, the brother of James, Jude, was commonly called Thaddeus in other places in the Bible, but he was crucified at Edessa in about 72 A.D. We're coming up to when this book was written. We believe the book was written between A.D. 95 and A.D. 98, somewhere in there. And already there's lots of persecution going on. Friends, Luke, good old Dr. Luke, historians say, who was the author of the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts, he traveled with Paul from various countries during all of his missionaries' journeys. He was hanged on an olive tree by a idolatrous priest in Greece. Barnabas, good old Barnabas, the encourager, he was killed without a whole lot of known facts, but he was killed according to history in A.D. 73 for his faith. Guys, the church has always suffered. The church has always had persecution It should not catch us by surprise. Jesus said, be of good cheer. Do not fear. In this world, you will have tribulation, but I have overcome this world. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, if anybody desires to live godly godly in Christ Jesus, he will suffer persecution. Paul said in the book of Acts that we must enter into the kingdom of heaven through much tribulation. Guys, it shouldn't surprise you that the world who is majority belongs to Satan, who is not controlled by the Holy Spirit, but is controlled by the flesh and the evilness of sin, and their master, the devil, hates the church. So the church has been perpetrated against by all sorts of people who hate it. Well, the first martyr I want to show you in the history outside the very beginning was a man named Polycarp. Has anyone ever heard of Polycarp? We, a lot of us don't want to read about someone like Polycarp. But Polycarp was the pastor. He was the bishop of the church of Smyrna 
And he died as a martyr in the year of 160. If you look at that, John wrote this book of Revelation in around 95 to 98. He was also a bishop, a pastor of the church of Smyrna. And numerous church fathers have it in writings and letters that we have that aren't what we would call inspired like the scriptures, but letters that are historically sound documents of truth that Polycarp was discipled personally by John the Apostle. And he took that church. Less than 60 years after this that we're talking about, this is what happened to him. Polycarp was martyred, just like I showed you in that picture in a Colosseum one day. He was burned at the stake. This is a letter that someone has that someone wrote, and I'm reading from things. You can look all this up. I got it from stuff online and from books. But it says the story comes from around 160 A.D. of the martyr of Polycarp, the bishop of the church of Smyrna. The account is in the form of a letter from an eyewitness to other churches in the area. It is the earliest chronicle of a martyrdom outside of the New Testament, which means a, a document. And listen to what it says. As Polycarp was being taken into the arena, a voice came to him from heaven. Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. No one saw who spoke it, but our brothers who were with there heard the voice. Some say that was God. Others say it was an unknown believer who was bold enough to say it. But listen to where it happened from there. When the crowd heard that Polycarp had been captured, there was an uproar. You know why? We're going to be entertained. And friends, listen to this. The Roman proconsul, that's the man in authority, asked Polycarp whether he was Polycarp. And on hearing that he was, he tried to persuade him to apostatize himself saying, have respect for your old age, swear by the fortune of Caesar, repent and say, down with the atheist. Now, when they said down with the atheist, it wasn't the way we look at an atheist. It meant down with those who do not believe in the gods of Rome and the deity of Caesar. Down with him, get rid of him. And so it says, he urged him to reproach Christ, and he said, I will set you free. Polycarp looked grimly at the wicked heathen multitude, in the stadium and gesturing towards them, he quieted the crowd. And he said, 86 years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? I cannot and I will not reproach my Christ. And they put him on a stake, and they burned him. And he stood and took it for the glory of God. Friends, that is just the beginning. You can go get the voice of the martyrs. You can go... Check that website out. It happens today. You can go get Fox's Book of Martyrs. You can study church history. And friends, I'm telling you, the church has not survived for these 2,000 years without others paying a string price. How many of you ever heard of Felix Manns? Felix Manns is special to Baptists. Felix Manns was a man who had been saved during the Early part of the Reformation, you know what the Protestant Reformation was in the early 1500s. Martin Luther, a priest, got saved by grace. He wrote a thesis, he put it on a board, and all hell broke loose. And the church was taken out of the dark ages of the corrupt, lost Catholic church and all of her religion without Christ. And then this man gets saved during the Reformation. Well, as the Reformation grew and people got the Bible, by this time you have a copy of the Bible in their language, the local language of German. He was a German. And then you had it in English. Tyndale gave us the English Bible. He paid for it with his life. They hung him for it. The last words he said was, open the eyes of the king, the man who translated the first Greek into English, New Testament. Two kings later, King James opened his eyes and commissioned the 1611 authorized version of the King James Bible. I want to tell you, God's awesome. But this man, who is the root of being a Baptist, he, called, he started a group called the Anabaptists, which means the rebaptizers. He began to see through truth of Scripture that infant baptism was unbiblical. It wasn't right. It was bad theology. So he didn't baptize his infant child. 
Five other men in the church besides himself said, we're not baptizing them either. They got the attention of the church, and the church had the attention of the authorities because they were in cahoots together. Back in them days, they didn't have birth certificates. They went by the church. Everybody was ordered by the authority of German rule, the king, to be baptized by your, as an infant, and the records was kept in the church. Well, they took them to jail. They took them to court. They said, we're not baptizing. We're not having our infant children um, christened because it's ungodly. Well, they threatened them. They put them in prison. They let them out. They put them in jail. They let them out. You know what he did? He went home. He said, you know, as I studied the scriptures, I realized we've never been baptized because we have been infant baptized. So he got one of those men to baptize him. He baptized the other ones. They got right with God. They went out and started baptizing everybody who believed the word of God. And man, they got upset. <laughs> and they said, Felix, you can't be doing this. You ain't supposed to be teaching this. You're a heretic. He said, no, you're a heretic. They put him in prison again. They told him, if you get out, we let you out. If you go do this again, we're going to kill you. This is what happened to Felix Mann, who is the father of the Baptists, the first Baptist, the Anabaptist, where we come from. On January 5th of 1527, Felix was wed from prison to a boat. On the way, he gave praises to God and preached to the people gathered to watch him die. Mansus was there with his brother and his mother. They were there, well, urging him to stand fast. They say that his mother cried, Stand for the Lord. Do not give up, Felix, his own mama. Listen what they did. He was put in a boat in the river Lamont. His hands were tied, and he was made to squat down. A stick was stuck behind his knees and above his elbows to immobilize him, and he was taken to the middle of the river. There with his mother, his brother, and his fellow rebaptizers, the Anabaptists, shouting encouragement to him in the name of Jesus, he was dipped into the lake and finally a death by baptism. Did he freak out? Did he scare? He says he was not horrified, nor was he afraid. His last words was, Into your hands, O Lord, I commend my spirit. And he went under for Jesus to go up forever to be with him in eternity. Friends, that is the reality of church history. America is a very fortunate land. Let me tell you how that happened. Fast forward 100 years, they have the Puritans. The Puritans are the descendants of the Anabaptists. The Puritans were godly men, godly people who believed the Bible was completely the whole authority of church life and faith. And they preached The pilgrims that came to America were Puritans. You know why they were coming to America? They were being persecuted. They were being imprisoned by the Church of England. And they wasn't allowed to practice their faith by the Word of God as the Spirit led. And they were having to listen to the Church of England. They couldn't call their own pastors. The pastors had to be appointed by the Church of England. It had to be only run. The church had to be operated according to the state. So they fled and they got on the ships and they came with their families to the new world to have freedom to worship Jesus as the Word of God and the Holy Spirit led them. And from that, they were blessed. And I believe that's the foundation of America. Anyone tells you different, they need to get saved. <laughs> they need to check history. They got here and they suffered. They Half of them died the first year. They didn't go back home. They'd rather stay there with difficulties and struggling with freedom than to go back to what they came from because their life was primarily motivated by their worship and their life in Christ. And they survived and they planted a church and they planted a colony and a colony became 13 colonies and those 13 colonies became the United States of America. And that blood, that message, that motivation Help to form America into what America is. God made America the greatest nation with the greatest privilege and less persecution, less suffering, and more freedom for the church to serve Christ than any other one you can find in the church history. And we was awesomely blessed. The church grew, America grew, and America did more to influence the nations and the world for the cause of Christ with the gospel than any other. There's other great ones, but America is instrumental in the last 250 years of globally missionizing and going out and planting the word of God and the gospel everywhere. We used to win the world. Now we've lost ourselves. 
And friends, listen, we have freedom right now. But it breaks my heart because I see us letting it get away. We just take it for granted. We think we deserve this type of worship. We deserve never to be persecuted because we're Americans. But first, we're Christians. And what God gave to us was sacred. It was precious. And friends, it can be lost. We can be like the rest of the world. I want you to think about this with me. Not only was it like that back then, it's like that today. The World Watch List is an organization that keeps a watch on nations that are persecuting and mistreating all religions, predominantly Christians. And in the last year, up to this point when this was published, in the year 220, the World Watch List organization reporting period says that this is what they know about. This is what they are sure about. There's more. But this year already, 2,983 Christians were killed by their faith, for their faith. We don't even know how many gets killed in North Korea and Afghanistan and places like that. We can't get in there. But guys, listen, for sure, 9,488 churches and other Christian buildings were attacked and destroyed this year. 3,711 believers have been detained without trial, no representation, arrested and sentenced or imprisoned all over the world. And we sit here comfortable, complaining that the preacher didn't do, or we didn't sing your song, or we didn't do this, or the carpet ain't the color I like. Friends, I want to tell you something. It can get worse. (laughs) We have it so good here. We ought to be praising Jesus. We ought to be cutting cartwheels, singing hallelujah. But friends, we are so distracted. We have so forgotten that there is something more important than us. And the first thing is Him. And the second one is them. Friends, there is a lost world dying and going to hell and a church that just sits here worried about itself isn't going to win them. Friends, the church that Jesus was talking to here, the church in Smyrna, was going through great difficulties, but they were still holding up the gospel and the cause of Christ. He said, it's caused you tribulation, it's brought you poverty, but I say you're rich. American today would flee from a church of poverty They would run. That church is in tribulation. The devil's down there. (laughs) They're not going through tribulation, not experiencing poverty because they've sinned, because they're doing wrong. They're experiencing it because they're doing right. They're standing for Christ. And America all over doesn't get it while the world right now is being hammered in all kinds of places simply because people are willing to say, I am a believer in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I am saved by His grace. Friends, we have forgotten what it costs for us to have what we have. Why our brothers in China and our brothers in Russia and our brothers in Afghanistan and North Korea and all over the world are struggling. I want you to think about this. In America, and I want you to turn with me to the book of Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. In America, we're surprised by suffering. The Bible says to expect it. In America, we try to shun all suffering. We don't want to have anything to do with suffering. But the Bible says and teaches to embrace it when it comes because of Jesus. Now, I ain't talking about, oh, I'm sick. I got the COVID. Praise God. That ain't what I'm talking about. But I'm talking about people at work shun you. People at work do you wrong, try to get you fired because you're a Christian and you stand up for righteousness. Don't shun that. Embrace that. Don't be surprised by it. They're children of the devil. And don't be ashamed that you suffer persecution because the Bible says it brings glory to God. Where you get that, preacher? Well, it's right here in Peter. Peter was writing to a church that was being persecuted too. And look at what he says in verse 12 of chapter 4. Beloved, beloved, that's me and you, amen? We're the beloved of God. He says, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing is happening to you. Friends, you know what? When we're doing everything we're supposed to and all of a sudden suffering, go, I don't know why they don't like me at school. I don't know why my neighbor's talking bad about me. Well, you stood up for Jesus. They're heathens. They're just doing what heathens do. 
They don't know they need Jesus any more than you need Jesus. I remember when the church came, my sister came to visit us on Easter, and she went to church on Easter Sunday. We were such bad heathens, we didn't even go on Easter Sunday. And she comes back, and then Monday, the deacons come knocking on our door to visit us because my sister filled out a card and put my address on it. And Diane said, what are they doing here with some words that we don't use anymore? They ain't got no business come aggravating us. Get them people out of here. She run them out. <laughs> Friends, I'm going to tell you something. Darkness doesn't like light. Unrighteousness don't want to have nothing to do with those who are righteous. And so, friends, I want you to look at what he says. Don't be surprised. Don't think it's strange. Look at verse 13. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Don't shun it. Embrace it. That's what he's saying. Rejoice to the extent that you are partaking of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Look at the next verse, verse 14. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Look at verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God. But we in the church of America have been so sheltered and blessed and protected. Why? So that we would have freedom and liberty to serve the Lord, to proclaim the gospel, to witness the gospel. And the amazing truth is that 90% of those born in the church, lived in the church, baptized in the church, married in the church, died and buried in the church, 90% of them will never want to share the gospel. And then we wonder why God ain't blessed us and poured out His blessings on our lives. Friends, if you can't suffer to be looked at as a Jesus freak because you talk about Him all the time and you share His Word, how are we going to survive if the wrong people get control of America? Because I'm here to tell you, I believe with all my heart, we're an election away from the beginning of the end of the Christian liberty and freedom that we've known for 250 years as I speak. Do you know who the chief perpetrators of persecution, suffering, and martyrdom is to the Christian today? There's two main sources. Sharia law, Islamic-ran countries. That the government and the religion are Islamic and they believe in Sharia law. Do you know the second most condemning is communism? And friends, I don't know if you realize this, but you hear all these people promoting socialism. And they all say it's wonderful. They're going to give you everything that God can't give you. Socialism is the seed that sprouts and grows and always bears the fruit of communism. Check it out. And everywhere communism has reigned and ruled, the church has suffered persecution, imprisonment, everything impossible for a government to do to remove it from the face of the land, even unto death. Yet we sit here and we are more worried about Democrats and Republicans in the White House and the courthouse. When I'm here to tell you, my friend, if we was as scared of sin and Democrats as we are of COVID-19 and sin and the devil, we'd have revival here this morning. And friends, we need to understand something today that there is a battle, a holy war for the heart of a nation named America that God gave us a right, a privilege, an unbelievable gift where we can worship and we don't get put in jail. Where we can share the gospel and you might get fired, but there's plenty of jobs to find in a free enterprise. Amen. (laughs) My job ain't dependent on the government. My job's depending on someone willing to break a little sweat, bend his back, and work hard. Amen? That's what God blesses. He who don't work, he who don't sweat, let him not eat bread. Don't give him what all you worked hard to get. That ain't from God. But we don't even realize it. If we allow the course of America to take what many, many people in high places 
and many who have influential, influential places. Celebrity types say we need to go. Let me tell you what's coming at the end of socialism when they get control and it evolves into communism. The person of persecution of Christians in the Soviet Union was the result of the violently atheist Soviet government. Listen what happened in the first five years after the October Revelation. 28 bishops, 1,200 priests were murdered, many on direct orders from Leon Trotsky. When Joseph Stalin came into power in 1927, he ordered his secret police to intensify persecution of Christians. In the next few years, 50,000 plus clergy were murdered. Many were tortured. According to the Orthodox Church records, as many as 50 million Orthodox believers may have died in the 20th century, mainly from the persecution of communist Russia. There's a book called The Insanity of God. It's written by a missionary called um, Nick Ripkin. Go read it. It'll blow your mind what God allows to happen to his people. But in the midst of all that persecution, in the midst of all that suffering, in the midst of all that persecution and death, there's a life called Jesus that can't be put out. As the devil tries to drown out the fire with the blood of the martyrs, the martyrs inflame the fire, and the true church rises to overcome everything the devil has to throw at it. He said, get ready. The devil's going to throw some of you in prison. You're going to have tribulation for 10 days. It's going to pass. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. That's so foreign to us in America. It's so beyond our belief, and it's happening all around us. Guys, listen to this. Out of the top 50 countries on the World Watch list, 11 countries this year were ranked as extreme in their persecution to the Christians. Six years ago, North Korea was the only one. Today, they list 11 of them as extremist persecution in this world that we live in today. North Korea is number one. Afghanistan second. Somalia is third. Libya is fourth. Pakistan is the fifth. You don't want to live there and be a Christian. But guess what? There's a church there. And they can't get rid of it. Because they keep preaching the word. And people keep getting really saved. Persecution comes, we'll find out how big the church is in America. <laughs> we'll find out real quick how much of us truly has him in us. But friends, I want to show you one more thing before we close. This is what Jesus said. They were the persecuted church, but they was also the crowned church. They were persecuted on earth, but they are crowned in heaven for all of eternity. Why? Jesus said, I know your works, your tribulation and your poverty. You're going through tribulation. You're going through hell on earth. You've lost everything. You're poverty stricken. But I say you're rich. Because you got what a lot of these other churches that have everything else but this. You have real faith. You love me. Listen, he said, be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. I want you to think about this. When I look at that, I say, man, I've never pastored a church. I've never been to a church. I, I, I just don't even know any. I don't even think like this. <laughs> And I'm the pastor. Flip with me over here. This church, he says, is in tribulation. They're in poverty. They have nothing. But you look at the church. That's the last church on the list that many people will be think is the church when Jesus returns at the end of the church age, the church of Laodicea. Look how Jesus, if you flip back with me to where we were in Revelations 2, look how Jesus describes that church. Jesus, help me see this. I don't want to get them glasses. He says to the church of the Laodiceans, it's in chapter 3, verse 14. I mean, verse 15 says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold nor hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. How did they get that way? Look at what he says, because you say, I am rich. This church says, I'm rich. Jesus says, you don't have nothing. Look at what he says about him. This church says, I'm rich. We have become wealthy. The other church, he says, you're going through tribulation and you have poverty. But I say you're rich. This church says, we say we're rich. But listen to what Jesus said. You say you have need of nothing. Guys, I look at our us, and that's how we are. The church in America is rich. We got big buildings. We got nice facilities. We got plenty of money. We got programs. We got a lot of people. But do we have a lot of God? 
Do we have a lot of supernatural things happening that can only be accredited to heaven's presence among us? Because listen to what he says. Because you say, verse 17, I am rich and have become wealthy and have needed nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He said, you so poor, you ain't, you naked. You're miserable. And they didn't even know it. Guys, listen, the crown church, the church that Jesus, out of the seven, one of the only two that he didn't condemn, that he never asked to repent, he told them, I'm going to crown you. They're in heaven, marked for eternity with a crown of life. Friends, I'm going to tell you something. It really makes me evaluate what I do and why I do it. It really makes me look at our experience. Thank God for our experience. But guys, listen. The right people get control of America. This could be gone quicker than you think. I've only been a pastor 24 years, and I've seen it change. When I said amen at my ordinating service, after all them men prayed over me, I'd have never dreamed I'd have to worry about ministering and accepting same-sex marriages in a church. I'd have never dreamed I'd be worried about abortions to the point of the day that baby is born. But I'm telling you, if the right people get in control in America and you preach against abortion, you preach against same-sex marriage and homosexuality, there'll be a state come man show up. People tell me all the time, Brother Marvin, you get too political. You're going to make us lose our tax-free status. Friends, the last thing you're going to be worried about is your tax-free status if they get a hold of this country called America. Because if we do what God tells us to do, some of those people, look at it. Everyone that's with the riots, everyone that supports socialism, none of them support Christ in the church. None of them stand for godly and righteousness. They're all opposed to it. None of them want you to be able to have freedom of religion. Friends, listen to this. When we have the freedom to do what we do, we need to take advantage of it. Now is the time to fight. Now is the time to stand for Christ. Now is the time to support the side that seems to stand for righteousness. Don't wait till it's all gone because it can be too late. And we need to understand that there is a time and a season and it is now to wake up. We don't need to wait. We hear a lot of people talking about I'm woke. My prayer is the church would wake up like some of them. Amen? Y'all know what I'm talking about? So I'm telling us to look at this and thank God for this. And guys, listen to this. This is the good news. Even if America goes the wrong way, that don't mean that the church has to. Because I'd rather go under with Jesus to be raised with Jesus like old Felix Manns. I'd rather burn with Polycarp than to sit here in comfort waiting to one day burn forever. I'd rather stand with God and go down with the ship of the gospel than to have all America has to offer if I agree. Let me tell you this. I got a little extra time. Y'all ain't got nowhere to go. Let me just tell you this. It's already started. Socialism's already here. What do you think Obamacare was? If you don't get insurance, we're going to tax you and penalize you for it and make you get the state insurance. If you don't get, it's, it's not a choice anymore. We're going to make you do it. Um, what do you think all this is starting to show us? The mask. I'm not sitting here to tear people down for not wearing the mask. But I'm going to tell you something. If we're going to let a virus that only killed 1% or less, had a death rate, 99% get sick and live. Yeah, people died. But guys, people die all the time from other things. But if we're going to let the government tell us you can't have church and lock us down and you have to wear a mask and you can't go to a restaurant and you can't do all these things, but the, the things we agree with, like riots, and that's what socialism does. And guys, listen, it's going to get worse. The next thing he's going to say, the vaccine. If you don't take the vaccine, we're going to keep a record of it. And we're going to come against you. you got to take the vaccine. It's state mandated for the safety of everybody else. And so we take the vaccine and we get a little bit less. The next thing they're going to say, oh, now we got to be different. we got to be more tolerant. You can't preach against the homosexuals. You can't be against abortion. You can't talk that stuff in church anymore. Or we're going to come against you. Well, they're going to take our tax-free status. Man, they could, I'm telling you, they got so much stuff. To, they could cut the electricity off and make most churches apostatize Jesus to get their power back. Friends, it's coming. 
The question is, do you really believe the Bible? Because, friends, it gets to the point where one day, according to Revelations, there's a one-world government and there's a one-world religion and they're in cahoots together. And they say, unless you take the mark of the beast and bow down to him, you cannot buy, you cannot sell, you will not survive unless you take and go against Jesus. Friends, that's where it goes. How can that happen? I can see it happening when America's no longer here the way it is. Right now in America, I praise God that we have the right to seek our life. But friends, listen, the more government gets control, the more they go against communism, Islam. Friends, look, I, I need to shut up, but I can't. Because while I got you here, I need to make you think about this. We got Islamics now who love Sharia law and hate the Constitution in Congress who openly don't even, are ashamed, don't even try to hide it, run down the Constitution and people who support the Constitution and say America is the problem, America is wrong, America is evil. Friends, I got news for you. We got to pick. You got to choose and you got to stand. Today is the day to stand. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to ask you to pray for America to come to this altar. Pray for the church. Give your life to Christ. If you're not where you need to be, recommit to Christ today. Friends, this is a reality that overwhelms me. And it has awakened me with a burden that we need to start doing more than we're doing. Amen? Amen. Well, I know I done probably got most of you where you're ready to go check the casserole, but let's have God have his way with us. Father in heaven, I pray today, Lord, that this would be a wake-up for us. It was for me that it would disturb us in a good way, that it would make us realize how blessed we are in America but how fragile our blessings are. That they could be lost, Lord, in a life. The next 20 years could be so much different. Lord, I pray for your will and for your mercy. And I pray for us as a church to stand for you, no matter what, like that church in Smyrna. Lord, right now there's people that weren't saved that need to get saved. There's people who aren't right with you that need to get right with you. Lord, we all need to realize that at any time, Lord, we can be where they were. Help us to be prepared and ready. In Jesus' name, amen.